Welcome back to the Chartwell Chronicles. I'm Colin Davis. Hi, I'm Brittany Atkinson. As I had mentioned in our prior um, podcast episode this uh, last month, we're trying to bring you more material from other jurisdictions um, throughout our firm and other states. And so we've asked Garner Berry from our Mississippi office to join us today. Hi, Garner. Hey, how are y'all? Uh, Garner's going to be touching on uh, trucking. He practices trucking um, in multiple states. And um, I'm going to turn it over to Garner to sort of introduce himself. Yeah. Hey, thanks for y'all uh, having me on here. Yeah, my name is Garner Berry. I'm um, I'm here in uh, Ridgeland, uh, Mississippi, which is the Jackson metro area in the central part of the state, uh, capital of Mississippi. And um, I have been practicing law, I think, about 22 years, give or take. Kind of runs together now. So that's, you know, 20 plus, <laughs> 20-ish. Um, and uh, I have... Um, primarily been practicing in the trucking and transportation industry for pretty much the entirety of that. Um, I, uh, it's kind of changed over the years. It looks a lot different, which, uh, I'll kind of hit on in a minute, but yeah, I mean, it was just something that I fell into back when I got out of law school and started with my first firm. And then, uh, it's, it's changed a lot. My practice looks a lot different than it did back then. You know, it was, uh, 20 years ago, it was just a big, it was just a big car wreck. Right. I mean, that was, that was kind of, uh, that was it. It was just a, you know, a, your typical car wreck case with bigger vehicles. And, um, I, I don't really know why, uh, but over time it started, uh, it changed a lot. I'd say probably, oh, probably around 10 years or so ago, you started seeing this shift where, um, uh, you, it, it became much more specialized you started seeing the rise of, of what they call nuclear verdicts, which um, the I think the definition of a nuclear verdict is that uh, the verdict is disproportionate to the actual injuries and damages. Um, so, you know, $10,000 soft tissue injuries results in a million dollar verdict or something like that, right? And, but yeah, of course. It, it, the- Garner, when we talk about trucking, can you sort of get, because I, I think I'm even a little bit lost. Like it's because it's such a specialty where you are um, and really like its own practice area. Because I know like in New Jersey where we are, it's not so much considered a specialty. And we do have sort of, I don't know, I guess the employer-employee relationship would be something that that's huge for us. So like with trucking companies, a lot of them are independent contractors. So how do you sort of deal with those you know, employer employee relationships. Yeah. The, the, um, so it is, it, it is a big practice area here. Um, you know, that's funny you said about New Jersey because I mean, I, you know, there's obviously tons of trucks. I don't practice up there. I have some, some acquaintances uh, and friends that do, but yeah, I mean, I have found, I, I would contend that it's big across the country. I mean, obviously some States are going to differ, but, um, I, I think some States and, and, uh, lawyers in those states are kind of playing catch up to the specialty parts uh, side of it. That's both plaintiff and defense. I mean, you know, there's a lot of times where I will get a case in uh, with a plaintiff's attorney who's, I'm sure, a hell of a lot smarter than I am, but they just don't do trucking. And so they approach it differently. Uh, there's a lot of things they don't know. And that's a lot of times that's a good thing for me. 
it's funny you say that because in comp we uh it's it's pretty special like the comp we've as we've said in the past other people it's really specialized here and then you occasionally get like a pi attorney comes in and oh i'm gonna take this to trial and then it's like look well, <laughs> you go ahead because like, it's, it's not you don't do comp in new jersey right <laughs> yeah, yeah i know that's funny because just the other day one of the uh one of the the firm clients um reached out to me and someone told them to obviously because they didn't know me but it, it was a comp client they have a one of their insureds who's pretty large um uh, electric utility contractor you know down here and you know she was she emailed me kind of emailed me the facts she was like you know this he didn't disclose this prior injury and you know it just kind of reeks of fraud and they had some some you know had some surveillance of him doing some things that suggested the shoulder injury wasn't so bad etc and and, and you know, I, I I know a little. I've done a little comp over the years, and I and I talked to her. I was like, "Look, I get it." I was like, "I'll die," and I tell all my clients this: I, "I'll die on whatever hill you want me to die on." Right? Like when we, I'm going to give you my opinion. I'm going to tell you what I think, and and if you disagree with, it, that's okay. You know, I've done my part, and then I'm going to go to battle for you. And I, so I told her, I was like, "You know, I'll die on whatever hill you want," but comp in Mississippi, like it, it just, it ain't gonna, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of specialized as well. And I mean, they know, you know, the, the comp attorneys that do it all the time, whether it's plaintiff or defense, I mean, they know that, uh, yeah, you know, none of that means anything to our comp commission. So. <laughs> you mentioned this, the special, like about, you mentioned earlier about, about 10 years ago, it was a shift into becoming more specialized. Is, is there something that triggered that? Um, Great question. I'm going to give you my theory. This is the Garnerberry theory, and I do really think that there's some. <laughs> I do think that there is some uh, truth behind it. But um, so, yeah, about ten years ago, you know, give or take, it did. It started to shift. You started to see these these rise uh, in nuclear verdicts. It was actually a study. There's a, a nonprofit. It is the nonprofit research arm of the American Trucking Association. It's called ATRI, the American Transportation Research Institute. And uh, anyway, they did a uh, they did a study. I think it came out, it was like 1920, somewhere in there. Uh, they did a study of nuclear verdicts and the rise uh, in them and the factors for them. It's really, for any trucking nerds or attorneys, it's a really, really good study. Because um, I, I would actually just say attorneys in general. There's a lot of good stuff in there about you know, things that factor into jury's decisions. But nonetheless, you know, it, it kind of, it tracked this rise where it like used to, I don't remember the exact number, but 90 something percent of all cases settled for under a million dollars, which is, is typically like your base layer policy in trucking. Well, of course, now that, that number has gone up drastically. Anyway, here's my theory. I think it's a, it's a well put together plaintiff's bar. I'll tip my hat to him for that. But I think what happened is about 10 years ago or so, you know, you have a lot of attention to MedMal tort reform, you know, product liability tort reform. I know we saw it in Mississippi when so I started practicing in 02 and in 04, we had massive tort reform, which it's horrible for the practice of law in Mississippi. And I mean, certainly put the brakes on it. I, I think it was a, you know, a bandaid on a jugular wound, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but it was targeted at like your, your drug 
uh, product liability cases, you know, pharmaceuticals, MedMal. Like I remember the, I remember the Chamber of Commerce's uh, uh, war chant, if you will, was, you know, look, all the doctors in Mississippi are leaving. Uh, medical insurance premiums are going up. No, you know, we can't keep doctors and that's why we need this. So we put it in place and I've seen statistics where absolutely zero has changed. You know, the, the, it didn't, it, you know, hadn't affected premiums. Doctors aren't staying in our state, et cetera. Anyway. So what I, what I believe happened is, you know, that, that was a big area and that was with the kind of the, the big verdicts you used to hear about. Um, and so when that started getting, you know, going away, I think the plaintiff's bar got together and I say got together, not, not in some back room necessarily, but I mean, I think that they started looking at areas where you can focus on and, uh, you know, and get these inflated verdicts. And, and as a former member of the plaintiff's bar for a very short year and a half, two year stint that I did the work, they're very well organized. I mean, when they have conferences, they don't sit in there and talk about the latest Supreme Court summaries in, you know, Idaho or whatever. They're in there teaching and having workshops about how they can, you know, get your money, you know, to get a get a company's money. And so anyway, so I that's kind of what I think happened. I mean, I think it was, you know, a shift in focus to say, look, this is a uh this is an area where you know, we can really reap some rewards. And um, so they really started focusing on it. Connor, on average, would you say a trucking injury? So same type of injury, but it, you know, it's, it's, you know, happens, you know, during a trucking accident, as opposed to just a regular old motor vehicle accident, it's just worth more than what they would get in a regular old motor vehicle accident. Yeah, to some extent. And, and, and I think what starts factoring in there, I mean, it shouldn't be right. Okay. I mean, you know, a, a injury, it's a, you know, it's a car accident, right? It should be the that's same. That's right. Well, you know, it's it, a low back strain is a low back strain, whether it's a slip and fall or whether it's a, you know, a little 90 year old granny that, that rear ended you at the stoplight. Uh, but w- when it's a truck, yeah, it is, it, it's inflated for a couple or it can be inflated for, for several different reasons. One which I'm going to try not to get too much in my soapbox, but one is just the fact that the general public doesn't like trucks. All right. And, and it's just a negative, it, it's known the ATA, which is the American trucking association there. This is, uh, they've been doing, you know, working on image for all, for years now and, and revamping the image. I mean, you know, great movie, but a lot of times if you said 18 wheeler, what do you think of? And then, you know, Smokey and the Bandit or something like that. We got ourselves a convoy. That, that's exactly right. The, you know, there was the remake. I used to do a pod, I mean, a, a, a blog years ago when I was kind of as a marketing thing. It was a lot of fun. It was on trucking stuff and I'm, I'm pretty colorful and, and, uh, salty and stuff that, that seemed to appeal to people but there i remember i never did use it but you remember the movie the the remake of of uh, uh national lampoon's vacation with um ed helms i think was yes. you know, played yes, uh, rusty whatever if you remember that scene that the 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 trucker i think he had a teddy bear on the front of his thing and you know he kept chasing them 
that is the stereotype and that's kind of the jokes and it's funny but if you remember what had happened she had lost her wedding ring and he had found it and he, he tracked her down and that stereotype's pretty clear because like on the like i just came back from uh vermont this past week uh yesterday and once you pop on the turnpike now there's a whole i mean it's a 50 lane super highway at this point but there's a trucking the truck side and the car side and I mean, very rarely do you see cars on the truck side, but I, I'm a bigger fan. Like I, I, when I drove down to Texas, taking 81, which is a pretty heavy truck route, and it was snowing. Like it was great following the truckers because, I mean, they're a lot. They're they're great drivers. I'm the opposite, Colin. I go right into the car lane. I want nothing to do with those trucks. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and look, and I get it. I mean, you know, to east, I think they're bandits, but just because you know. It I makes you it, it makes you nervous. No, I, I get it, and I mean I, I definitely understand that. And but what's interesting is, is you know people, by and large, I mean, look, it, you know, are there some are there some truck drivers out there that aren't very good drivers, or you know, yeah, I mean, sure, just like there are normal drivers, but you know, by and large, what you see is they certainly drive more miles. They're probably the most of them are going to be uh, a much better driver than your average driver just by virtue of the miles that they travel um doesn't make them professionals which that's a whole nother thing that that plaintiff's attorneys try to cast as you know that they're a professional driver well i i've never heard of the professional truck driving league you know do they drive a lot sure you know can that make you better by doing repetition i guess it quite could but it doesn't mean they're professionals but nonetheless what i've found is is usually the people that are they're cussing the truck and be like, Oh my God, you know, they're, they're driving too slow or the same that are like cutting them off. Look, this is an 80,000 pound vehicle. You don't pull in front of one and cut them off. I got stuck Garner in a, in a McDonald's on a road trip one time. And there was a, we were just waiting for a long time and a, there was a truck driver um, in front of me and we just happened to start chatting and, you know, we're waiting for our food or whatever. My kids are running around like animals. So I'm just trying to distract myself. And um, he gave me a tip. He said, never cut off an 18 wheeler because we cannot stop like your cars can stop. And it always resonated with me. So like, I'm always like careful when I'm driving around them, but. Yeah, no, I mean, a hundred percent. And you know, and they, and they, and they get, they get, it's funny, you know, they, get cussed at or you know people cuss and complain about you know they're driving slow well why some of them are speed limited there's actually a push and there's it's been going on for years nothing you know nothing really moves slow in the government uh you know regardless of of that's not a political affiliation it just moves at a snail's pace when it comes to passing certain regulations and things and but there's been this debate about putting speed limiters on trucks for a long time and so what, is, what would that mean they they can't are they gp are they gps oh, sorry go ahead kyle no just they can't go above a certain point and yeah. just the truck just won't go that fast no they they it's, it, it would be a limiter no no i mean i guess it, you know trucks can they can they can run as oh, fast sure. as you know we're, most we're almost talking restrict restrictor plating them Exactly. Yeah. It's NASCAR. I like it. That's the, uh, no, but that's exactly what it is. It is, it would be, it would be a required speed limiter. Um, and there's some debate, should it be 65 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour? Um, and it's been going on for a lot, you know, that debate's been going on for a long time. 
are they GPS monitored for speed? Because I know we see a lot of like some of the smaller company trucks that say I'm monitored by a GPS for speed. Do they do that with the big semis? Yeah, a lot of them. So what you have is it's every, um, of course, in trucking. And this is one of the things, you know, kind of coming back to, to where we opened up. Um, there's a reason that trucking in the, the trucking litigation or, or just the trucking law is so specialized in my opinion and why I think that for all the potential clients that are going to just, you know, going to send us tons of business once they hear this podcast is that <laughs> you, it, it's very specialized because you have, uh, you have federal regulations that govern trucking companies and truck drivers. Uh, I, I'm, I'm here at home. We're, got a uh, we, we we are iced in by mississippi standards y'all would all laugh at us but uh but no it's not like it, a dusting exactly you know like a like a a tenth of an inch of ice and you know we're freaking out but no i mean you know there's a regulation book that's two inches thick full of regulations that uh that drivers and companies have to abide by um and and follow but one of those is is um, logging hours. They're they're only allowed to drive eleven hours uh, in a day, fourteen hours on duty, um, and that's doing you know inspections, pre trip inspections, post trip inspections, uh, getting loaded, unloaded at a shipper. You know all of this stuff eats into their time. Uh, anyway, so they have to log. Several years ago, they went away from paper logs and they did electronic logging. So, Colin, to your point. Um, a lot of the devices for logging, they have other, you know, software aspects that can benefit trucking companies. A lot of them will have GPS, you know, capabilities on it, which can give you speed. You know, the other thing that you have a lot of trucks are extremely sophisticated. I mean, this, uh, I would say the safety technology that is on trucks, a lot like you see on your passenger cars as well these days, but, um, I mean, so the technology is just through the roof, and I mean, the the that's another kind of misunderstood thing about the about the industry, among a lot of other things, is is that the industry is very safety conscious. I mean, if anybody is wanting to to you know make travel safer, they want to. I mean, sure, you can always have some of your you know your rogue companies or smaller ones. You know, often they call chameleon carriers where they're getting shut down by the government and, and, and hiding and reopening under a different name and things. But um, the industry wants to be very safe. So one of the things you see is, is like you've got dash cam, which if a lot of times it'll be triggered by a hard stop. So, you know, if a, a truck, somebody cuts a truck driver off and they have to slam the brakes, it'll trigger recording. And then that it goes up into a cloud and the vendor usually sends it to the to the motor carrier and they get these reports, you know, so they can look at them and they can say, okay, was this driver being unsafe or was it somebody that cut them off? Those usually have speed on it. I mean, there's, there's, there's collision avoidance systems on the front, you know, again, a lot like cars, but you have them on trucks. I used to know, I'm, I, I used to know the number specifically, but they're required to have a certain amount of lights on their cab and tailgate too, correct? Yeah, so that, that's exactly, it's funny, I, before we got on this podcast, I'm actually working on a case right now that, that, that there's a, allegations about the lighting on the back. But yeah, that's exactly right. There's some, there's some specifications for what's supposed to be on the back of the truck and the side as far as lighting. 
there's some uh, there's regulations and specifications on what they call conspic- conspicuity tape or that reflective tape that you see on the back and the side of the trailers. But I mean, yeah, there's there there there's a lot of safety aspects that go into the the truck themselves and the technology on them uh, to try to help out. So when you, I'm going back to this point, because this always is such a huge thing in New Jersey when we're dealing with trucks, especially um, with, you know, workers comp cases. Are your truckers, are they, do they have their own OCAC policies? Do they have, are they indemnified by the employers? Like, how does that work? Yeah. So the, the, you can have two types of drivers. Typically you have a W2 employee that works for the company and then you can have independent contractors. And uh, there's a lot of both. Trucking is is heavy with independent contractors. It's just a model that's been around for a long time, and also uh, keeping drivers is very difficult for companies. That that's a again the ATA will have like you know they'll have yearly top ten hot button issues. Driver retention is always at the top. They'll bounce around a lot. I don't really know why, but um, so it's really hard to keep drivers. And so what ends up happening a lot of times is the independent contractor model is heavily relied on. We have a really hard time um, in New Jersey, you know, proving, you know, that a, a truck driver was an independent contractor. And in fact, there's a test and it's almost, while it still remains a defense in our statute and it's available to us, it's almost impossible to be. I think I've actually proved it one time and got a dismissal. Right. Um, it's almost impossible because the law just wants to call them an employee for the purposes of them receiving benefits. Yeah. And so that's interesting because, you you know, in the in the comp uh, side of it, that that would be very important. So in the what I'm going to call the, you know, the personal injury litigation side of trucking. And, and I do I do a lot. I, I'm outside general counsel for several motor carriers. So I do a lot of contract formation and I. Yeah, I deal with some of the, I guess what we'll call the business aspects sometimes as opposed to just the truck wrecks. But mm-hmm. so in the, when you have a wreck or an accident, let's say that, that Joe Blow with, you know, his, he, his company is named, you know, Acme Inc. Trucking and, and he is hauling for my company. Even as an independent contractor, what they typically do and it, it, again, this goes back to regulations. Uh, what typically happens is, is he is leased on to us. So in other words, he would be operating under our DOT authority. And by doing that, we're responsible for him from the standpoint of an accident. In fact, the regulations, you know, say that he's an equivalent of an employee for purposes of vicarious liability. Now, that's just for the accident. When you open that up, and this Independent contractor status has always been very, very, it's been a very heated issue in trucking. Because the theory goes is that if you do away with the independent contractor model and say that all of them are employees, obviously it's going to make it much more expensive. Uh, And by virtue of making it more expensive, uh, you're going to run a lot of companies out. You're going to run a lot of the capacity for hauling goods out. Uh, and you're going to cause a really bad problem because there's two reasons. Number one, you know, we're used to seeing the, you know, the big trucking companies on the road, right? The Knight Swifts, the Werners, the JB Hunts, all, all those things. And, and, you know, these, these massive companies that we know of, 
I again, I'm not real, I can't remember the exact number, but the 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 actual fact of the matter is is that like ninety something percent of all of the trucks on the road, they're they're really really small you know, kind of independent contractor, mom and pop shops. All right. I mean, that, that these big companies, yeah, they're huge, but you know, they don't necessarily dominate the landscape and they damn sure can't haul all the freight that is out there. You know, this goes to a public perception. And so what ends up happening is, is, you know, because of this push to have true independent contractors classified as employees it's really scary for them, you know, especially you got out in California, which they're always kind of leading the way on stuff like this. I know here recently, I, I, we were talking about it before we went on air, and I, I found it. The Biden administration, again, this is not political. It's just a fact that they did. They just recently proposed a, a, a rule on classifying employees that is more akin to what you would see in California than what you see across other states. In other words, it would be more apt to make people employees than independent contractors. But so one of the things that concerns trucking companies, I think should concern the public at large, too, is if you do something like in this independent contractor situation, if you do something that hurts trucking financially or makes it more difficult to operate, we're in turn hurting ourselves. And I I challenge you to look around where you're sitting right now. Find one thing, and, 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 and I don't care where you are, where you go, if you can find me something that was not carried on a truck at some point during the process, I, I, I'll, I'll, you know, I bet you a dollar to a donut you can't do it. And there's actually one of the, the imaging slogans I've, I've uh, seen is, you know, it's a picture of a truck, and it says, if you got it, a truck brought it. You're right. I mean, if people think back to early days of the pandemic and just all the supply chain issues when you're watching all the tankers, especially out in L.A. on the in the ports where they literally had the port open 24 hours a day to get as many truckers through to start transporting it. And, and people don't realize how integral they are to the everyday society and that we would just grind to an absolute halt without them. Yeah, absolutely. There was a I think it came, I can't remember exactly. Maybe it was right after Hurricane Katrina or whatever. We are down here in Mississippi and, you know, there, you have your pre-Katrina and post-Katrina, which was in 2005. But it, that was a, obviously a big event here. And, and But things, things shut down. I mean, obviously you had the coast that was, you know, wiped away. But, I mean, even up here in Jackson, you know, I was without – there was a – it was a Category 1 hurricane when it got here. I was without power for a week. No gas stations had any gas, food at the stores, all this. Anyway, I saw this I saw this meme or gif around that or whatever they were called back then, you know, but it basically said if if trucking was shut down and I don't, you know, within 12 hours it was, you know, people would be out of this and you know, it kind of ran in it did about 3 days or a week long and of course, you know, you got hospitals that can't provide medical care and and treatment you know you have banks that don't have cash gas stations that don't have gas etc and so yeah i mean it is a i mean think about all those 
Amazon packages that show up, right? They, they ain't, you know, drones okay. aren't so bringing I'm them yet. Of the Amazon packages at the doorstep. <laughs> I, I, I remember the Katrina thing because I have a cousin who what the, it lived in what the well you would know it as past Christian, but yeah. the news referred to it as the landmass next to New Orleans. That, that's exactly <laughs> right. The landmass between Louisiana and Alabama. I'm still a little sore about that, but yes, that's, that's exactly right. That's what. Yeah, we. I was just in the Florida Keys, and I don't think people. I actually didn't know this either. Uh, but everything has to be trucked in down there because of the way yeah. the I forget exactly what why, but even though they let they have cruise ships that can come in, I guess there's the ports aren't big enough to allow the the shipping to come in as well. And no. it, yeah, it's crazy when you think about it. And even if it did, you know, hey, it's get it's got to get from that port, uh, you know, somehow. Right. And it's it's of course in that situation, you know, what they call intermodal carriers where. You see those boxes on the, uh, you know, hooked to the trailer, but, um, but yeah. So I mean, it it the independent contractor model is important from that standpoint. And you, Brittany, one of the things you asked about, you know, you were talking about kind of some of the differences when you do have a uh, independent contractor, or say someone. Sometimes you hear them referred to as an owner operator. In other words, I was just you know, about to ask you that. So how many, like, because this kind of goes hand in hand with this. How many of these guys, you know, do they own their own trucks? Um, you see a lot of it. Um, I, I don't know numbers, the but yeah, you do. You see a lot of it. And, you know, I mean, does that change the change the way it's handled if they own the truck? It it does not change it from that liability standpoint. So you know, if uh, again with the truck wrecks, it doesn't change it because they're. They're going to be leased on operating under your authority. And when I and when I say authority, meaning the DOT issues motor carrier authority to, you know, you can't operate a truck without uh, governmental authority. And um, when they're operating under your authority, your liability policy is going to to apply. Now, what they don't have is, is since they're not an employee, W-2 employee, they're not covered by a company's workers comp except probably you know in the situation you describe you would have that here too but so in theory what they're they, they're going to need and it's their choice a lot of times the lease agreements and contracts uh require it but they they've got to go and they've got to get oc act uh, uh coverage yeah and i think that's that's what we're most familiar with when we hear independent contractor you know and we have a client that says you know they're an independent contractor we're like oh man here we go down this road um, right. Because, you know, for us, it doesn't matter what your contract says. It doesn't matter what the language says. And it's, you know, based on certain factors and almost always they're never going to find them an independent contractor. Yeah. You know, that's and that is that's interesting. I mean, here in Mississippi, uh, I've, I've never really encountered it in the in the comp setting, but just in general, it's a conservative state down here. So. You know, if they say they're an independent contractor, you're an independent contractor. I mean, you know, by yeah. and large, I mean, mm-hmm. so it, they, they give a lot of deference to it. But I have seen, I, I mean, I've been around comp and like I said, done some of it. I mean, but I, I do know, I've heard of some situations where, you know, the the comp commission, Mississippi Workers' Comp Commission here, who's, that's the first level. I don't know how it is structured in other states, but, you know, that's the first level that you're going to, the court you're going to be at. and um you know, there's been some situations where, yeah, they're trying to, you know, probably trying to push the envelope a little too far and uh, label them as an independent contractor when, in fact, they're an employee. But some I mean, you do see it come up some. 
I, the one thing I thought was interesting, and I, I know people you hear about it uh, that talk about like the drivers are allowed to drive so long, but you said it was it was fourteen hours in a day a, a day. But I, well, if I heard you correctly, maybe it was eleven. But eleven hours driving, fourteen hours on duty. On duty, and that includes all that prepping, the uh, all that extra stuff. Okay, that's yep. that, okay. Yeah, I, I knew there was a number, and I knew they in recent, I guess, more recent years they had they knocked it down or got much more uh, stringent about the reporting. Yeah, so it changes a lot. the 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 hours of it's called hours of service regulations. So you'll see it as HOS. Uh, it does change. It's in fact, it 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 changes. I mean, it's not changing every year. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, every few years things will change. Several years ago, they they instituted where drivers have to take a thirty minute break during an eight hour segment um, because you can uh, you cannot drive beyond eight continuous hours. So that that was they had they instituted the thirty minute break. Now you didn't have to be at the eight hour mark, but yeah, it's funny. I remember they're there for a reason. They're there for fatigue, right? I mean, so I, I'm not advocating that eleven hours driving more than 11 hours is is safe or what's probably not i mean but i remember going to uh taking the family we went to disney world and it's um we drove several years ago and you know pop up at five in the morning and you know load up drive the whole way you know stops along the way but i mean you know all in all when it was all said and done it was probably you know, 15 hours or so. I think the drive, cause the drive time's nine. I did the same thing. I did the same thing driving out to Chicago. It was 12 hours to Iowa. It was 14 and a half down to 10. Uh, when I drove to Texas, I drove ju- to just past Nashville and it was right. 14 and a half. It, it's, it, it's crazy that it, it applies to only truckers in reality. I mean, I know I pushed, I mean, I think everybody would push the limit. I know like, that's why the people have that, uh, kind of stereo bad impression of truckers because they think they're all anytime you see an accident they're probably thinking oh they were over uh overtired or whatever but the one thing i learned from a trucking case is that the cabs that they get to sleep in are amazing right like you don't realize how huge they are in that cab it's crazy yeah i mean you think about it that's their home i know that's crazy to a lot of people i have this um person that i know you know via social media i see this stuff and he's a truck driver and he's a long haul driver. Um, and his he's always posting videos of his cab. And he's got a bird in there, like a little pet. <laughs> he has a straight up like bunk beds. Sometimes his son comes with him and they yeah. you know, shack up. I'm like, this that's beautiful. It's like a little condominium. Absolutely. Look, I have a I have a um a, one of my a firm client and and uh, I do their work in uh Mississippi and Tennessee because I practice in both, but um she, the she's a insurance adjuster for a company that that primarily writes uh, transportation stuff, and she's awesome. I was talking to her earlier today, but her husband he's a truck driver, you know, and I, I mean some, I mean so she knows it well, and of course yeah, same thing. I mean there's a lot of times she'll go out with them, and you know just because they're gone a lot. I mean yeah. they all, and you know I mean yeah, some of them, most of them take a lot of pride in their truck and what they do you know again you're always going to get some bad apples but uh look it's a you can make a very very good living as a, oh, you know, a truck. 
I mean, 100%, you know, if, if, if you if you want to. Now, again, I, I don't know if I would want to be gone like that or not. I You obviously you do have to do what you got to do. But, I mean, they're someone that does it and does it well and sticks to it. They're going to make a very, very good living, you know, not having to have a college education or even a high school education that for that matter. I mean, so. Yeah. Any, uh, any trucking case that we've ever, that I've ever had in New Jersey. I mean, they're always max earners. I mean, they're, they're paid very, yeah. very good. You know, another it's thing, that, I mean, it's a hard job. It's definitely a hard job. It is. Well, you know, when we're talking about the hours of service and, and, and so again, I'm not, I'm not advocating that, that it should be longer, but I mean, Colin, it's like you said, I mean, I don't know how you're going to monitor the general public, but I mean, nothing stops us from doing that right we're not regulated we're not going to get in trouble if 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 we do it and those are and those ramifications if i'm not mistaken are very severe correct yeah oh no absolutely uh, the um yeah they are uh, and, and particularly you know will subject them to dismissal and, and and termination and you know there's not a black book necessarily but the the when you apply to another company, they they do a background check and, and there's some different databases like you, you know, there's a place where these violations, these roadside violations go, right? And and logbook violations and all these things. And so when they go and they apply for somewhere, uh, that stuff's going to pop up. And so then that makes it difficult. It's not like you can just run down the road and, and get another job. So, yeah, I mean, it it, it can absolutely be. It could be detrimental to their career. From a liability perspective, from your perspective, I'm sure it doesn't help your case if they've, you know. No, it it, it doesn't. And that's almost standard in any complaints. That's what you're going to see. You're going to see this fatigue uh, argument being made. You know, they, they it's it's a little played out. I mean, a ton of, an attorney that knows what they're doing from a, like a plaintiff's attorney they're only going to they're only going to play that card if if they if they really know it applies but some of the some of the ones that are just dabbling or don't really know this stuff they they throw it out there I, I just you know it's whatever you don't know you don't know what you're talking about i mean so stay in your lane right yeah, yeah. exactly well, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> i know and on that point we'll actually change lanes and we actually brought garner on for a pretty uh important pretty important reason i i i know he runs a boot camp why don't you tell us a little about that yeah so um all right so my, myself and my partner matt heffelfinger who's in our peoria illinois office of chartwell i guess we're going into our third year with with a group called uh, the trucking claims boot camp it was started i'd have to look well hold on first i guess while we're going to give a shout out let me give it is truckingbootcamp.com. And so here's what it is. It was, I don't know, 13, 15 years or so ago, a group of attorneys, not myself or Matt at that time, because it's changed over the years. I think there's only maybe two original members. Uh, but uh, uh, about 13, 15 years ago, you know, all of these attorneys are going to these conferences, you know, whether it's DRI or TIDA, which is trucking. Institute Defense Association, you know, all of these things. And, you know, you've got three, 400 in a room. There's some clients in there, you know, just attorneys descending on them, handing out cards. And so this group decided that they wanted to provide a little more intimate setting for where clients could come and get some good 
could get some good material and education. We actually give continuing education credit uh, and be able to do it without, you know, just attorneys and other and vendors and stuff just flooding them with with attention. So the way it's set up, and this is kind of an important thing for anyone to listen. Any clients, it's free to attend. the The cities are on the website, but what we do is we go to two cities a month for four months: so March, April, May, and June. Go to these various cities, so like in uh, I say March. I think it's actually the end of February this year, but. We hit Atlanta and Orlando, and then after that is maybe a Dallas and Omaha, et cetera. Again, they're on there. But um, we do a one-day presentation. We feed you lunch. It's free to come, but you have to you have to be like insurance or in-house attorney or something along those lines. Other attorneys are not allowed to attend. You know, it's just how we protect. We protect the what we've got, right? I mean, look, there's a marketing aspect to it, but uh, mainly we're protecting the clients. And um, same thing too. Uh, we have some. We have sponsors: Marshall Investigations, SEA Engineering. I'm sure I'm leaving some others out. I apologize, but uh, if you work for a competing company that uh, a competitor of one of our sponsors, you know, you're not allowed to attend. And it's not that we're being restrictive. It's just, you know, we're protecting the people that are good to us. And then also uh, protecting the clients. We get really good feedback. It's really fun. But yeah, so we, we started about three years ago. I think it's seven, only seven firms or members uh, across the country. Present company include uh, excluded. I would say that it's probably the most elite group of trucking defense attorneys in the country. Uh, you know, I'm biased, but I can give a, a big push to it too because I mean, I've I've been trying to get Garner on this podcast for over a year, and the boot camp was last year was the reason it took so that's long right. to get you on the schedule. So that's how popular this is. So we, I do want everybody to know that this it's it's a great asset. It sounds like it really is. And, you know, one thing I would say, too, that because we obviously have uh, a lot of firm clients that don't do anything with trucking or probably don't care to. Uh, but for, you know, for any clients, regardless of what you're in, whether it's in retail or hospitality or products liability, number one, you can get a free meal and some free continuing education, uh, which everybody needs. But two while we're certainly trucking and transportation focused, you know, there's, there's a lot of practical stuff that translates across practice areas that I think are good for, for any potential clients. And we get that a lot. I mean, you, we do see that uh, where it's not just a insurance adjuster or claims attorney who handles nothing but trucking. You get a, you get a lot of crossover. Awesome. And before we let you go, I think the question most people want to hear is which side of the egg bowl do you fall on? <laughs> Hotty toddy. I'm an Ole Miss fan. We, it's, it's been, a, it was a good year. I know I'm a, I'm a Penn Stater. You guys smoked us in the bowl game. It, it, it look, we, we came to play. It's um yeah. It we was, have James it was, Franklin as a coach. We have a handicapped. They, they, there you go. Well, I mean, he was at Vandy. He, hey, he succeeded at Vandy. So he did pull that off. Um, yeah, and now your rival just took uh, uh just got our running back with Quinchon Judkins going over to Ohio State. That was, it was crazy. That was crazy, but I don't know, man. They're they're talking some good things for us. Uh, 
next year, and I'm I'm not biting on it. I've been an Ole Miss fan for way too long, and I know how this goes. I mean, we we could, well, I won't use that analogy. We can mess things up pretty uh, pretty easily. So I'm 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 cautiously optimistic about what happens next year, but we'll see. It'd be fun. I've heard the Grove is one of the coolest places you can possibly tailgate. That I agree. I would agree with. I, I would say that uh, even my biases aside, and, and and I say this because people, you know, non Ole Miss affiliated people have have uh, confirmed this. But yeah, it's just it's a crazy cool deal that you just you just not going to see at other at other schools. I don't. It was like a thirteen acre grass and tree area i mean it would look like a park and then on game days you've got all of these elaborate tents and food and drink and and it's it's crazy it's it's wild it's it's something that everybody should experience yeah i'm gonna have to convince eric to let us go on location and uh record from the (laughs) from the grove one of these times we could do that (laughs) that'd be a great deal but seriously thank you for joining us hey thanks for having me this is great and uh, as you heard uh, Garner say, it's the truckingbootcamp.com. And uh, if you have any questions related to the podcast, feel free to email us at podcast at chartwelllaw.com. And you can get all of our information at chartwelllaw.com as well. And please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. We're available on almost uh, every location. So see you at the next episode.